Praise God. We're, we're also very glad to have the Coleman's with us this morning. Of course, they're the directors, founders and directors of Zion's Bridge Ministry, a ministry that is reaching out to Israel and to build a bridge between the church, Christians, and the Jewish people. And uh, what, a, what a beautiful and wonderful work that they're doing with that. I've known the Coleman's for well over 20 years and uh, just uh, have grown to love and appreciate them more and more had the privilege of, of going on a tour that they led back in 2019. And, uh, and then it, they've, they've just been such a blessing to us here at City on a Hill Church. And we've been thrilled to partner with them and the work that they're doing uh, through Zion's Bridge. I remember uh, on October 7th, Robbie and I are friends on Facebook. And I remember seeing his first post. He said, does anybody know what's going on? I've been hearing explosions. And boy, it didn't take long before it all unfolded that this horrific attack against Israel and against the Jewish people, the worst, the worst attack against the Jewish people and Israel since the Holocaust. And, and Robbie was on the ground there in Israel and began uh, immediately to go to work, uh, bringing humanitarian aid and relief to the victims uh, he's going to tell you all about it and, and give you details. Also, bringing support and aid to the IDF troops. And uh, so we're thrilled, again, to uh, partner with that ministry and that work. And so let's give a great welcome to Reverend Robbie and Tommy Coleman. Praise God. Um, we, we have never, and I've told people, and a lot of people don't really understand why I say this, and um, <clears throat> they... To a lot of people, it doesn't really register the impact it has on my life. But we have told people over and over, we do not consider Zion's Bridge a ministry, a, a ministry end within itself. We are a conduit. And that's what I keep getting the word from the Lord about, to be a conduit. We don't have, uh, Tommy and I don't even have a vehicle in Israel. We have, a, we have an apartment that... Uh, uh, that we live in, of course, we don't own it either. But we we live simple lives. We ride buses every day. Um, I have an office only because another ministry provides it. So our our overhead just we we just don't have an overhead. And I, sometimes I kind of feel a little bad when I go to certain meetings of ministries that. I can't say Zion's Bridge has an office on uh, Menachem Begin Street or whatever, but we're doing it the way God, we really felt that God wanted us to do it. We don't use what you give, we're not going to use it up in, in overhead, administration or anything like that. It goes straight to the people. So there's one uh, organization we help called the Isaiah Project, and as I said, we've helped bless them a lot this year. And they call me regularly since I've been home. They've called. They said, Robbie, I hope you don't get upset, but we need some help. We have soldiers up on the, going into Lebanon this week. And we don't have helmets for one whole unit. We need 100 helmets. And so um, I said, how much do you need? They said, uh, well, we need $21,000. How much do you have? They said, we've already got 10000 I said, well, here's six more thousand. Get somebody else to give the last five. And that's the way we work. And I encourage others to give. And uh, 
when we started Zion's Bridge, we were just so happy. By the way, before I get away from this, and but these are in your bookstore. They're free. They're not from me. They're from the Isaiah Project, a strong uh, Jewish organization in Israel that called me and said, uh, Robbie, we want to we give something back to all of your people that have given. So they sent, uh, they shipped these to my house. So these did come directly from Israel. It just simply says, um, uh, bring them home now. Now. So, so that's, uh, those are in the bookstore. And uh, if you're like me, I never, I never wear things like that. I'm a little bit too... Uh, macho, too manly, but if it makes a statement, I'll wear it, and this is bring them home now, and that's been the message the whole time, but when we started Zion's Bridge Out, we started it out, honestly, uh, we started it out to, to, to try to do something small for the Lord, our son had passed away unexpectedly, and we really didn't we really didn't have aspirations to do anything great. We just wanted, God, is there anything at all that we can do? And we, we saw a need, and the need was that um, people, there are a lot of people that, uh, for whatever reason, didn't have an avenue to give directly to Israel. Um, and especially, they didn't have a way to give money to Israel and get tax uh, credit for that. So we started Zion's Bridge, and that was our number one goal, to offer a 501c3. People can give to us. And then I preach around on weekends, and what I get from that, we'll use it for the small administration. We do have a wiring fees every time we wire a, uh, an amount of money to Israel. Uh, of course, that's our arrangement with our bank is fifty dollars. So we pay stuff. Oh, we pay things like that and postage. And we we told people in the beginning it's grown much larger than that now. The the expenses have kind of overcome Tommy and I. So now we let the ministry take care of its own needs and expenses where we didn't start it that way. But uh, uh, we started it, and we would people would give like we'd get a hundred dollars. We'd send that hundred dollars and. We would get we would get uh, more. We would we would just send it all, and uh, God blessed it. Uh, Zion's Bridge is now seven years old, and if next year goes like this year, we've already uh, uh, received over two hundred thousand dollars this year, and it and we. You know, we don't do it through marketing or anything like that. We just simply come to churches like you, preach the gospel, tell you what we're doing. And then the way it works out is when people do hear of needs and things they want to help with, they call us and we get the money right to where it needs to go. And one, one of the most beautiful things that happened was that right after the war started, that immediate, the, at Immediately at the beginning of the war, there were needs, huge needs that came up right so quickly that nobody was ready for. I need to look at my watch here, okay? Nobody was really ready for. Uh, to the point that in Ashkelon, uh, Ashkelon got hit pretty severely. And Ashkelon, you were still able to go into Ashkelon, it's a bordering city to Gaza. 
Now, some you couldn't go into at all, like Starot and Berry and others, you could not. But Ashkelon, you could still go in there, but they did get hit a lot. So, in some of the uh, uh, kibbutzim, places like that, you just had dead bodies that laid there for a long time because nobody could get to them. It was not safe for anybody. And it took the army a while to get geared up themselves. The army was not ready. But in Ashkelon, we went in immediately to help out. And when I got there, uh, my question was, how, what can we do to help? And the people in Ashkelon says, we have to bury our family by Jewish law. You know, they're, they're Jews. It's very special to them to go by Jewish law. We have to bury them by Jewish law, but uh, we, can't, we can't have a, a funeral because usually they bury them in 24 hours. But they were not able to do that, so they had to have a kosher bag to actually put them in the bodies in the seal. They didn't have enough bags at all of Ashkelon. So we went out and bought bags and, and gave hundreds, I don't know how many hundreds, I think it was like 700 bags. We went out and bought body bags. So that was the first thing that your money went to help literally preserve bodies. Sounds like a little morbid to talk about, but it is the truth. That's what war is like. So we started out with that. Uh, then we were able to actually take meals down to the border to feed soldiers, and not only soldiers, but citizens that were displaced. They were literally living in bomb shelters. You've seen those bomb shelters on television. Uh, a lot of ministries have provided bomb shelters, but people were literally living in them. But so many people in there, they had nothing to eat because, you know, they couldn't leave long enough and didn't. It just just was not a practical way for the people to get food. So, the most amazing thing that happens, and I'm trying to tell you this faster than I should. I should settle down and just tell you a few major points, but I'm not geared that way. I'm scared to death. I'm going to leave something out. but So, I'm going to tell you as fast as I can. But another thing had happened. See, I want you to see how God works on several angles. Several angles at one time. Well, the, the Lord helped Zion's bridge to be ready. And I don't want to say this in a bragging way. I'm just going to tell you how God worked and you can decide whom to brag upon. But he, he, he had us strategically ready in a very special way. I had, uh, was already in Israel. I heard the bombs coming. I did not know what was going on. The news in Israel is very much kosher. In other words, even their news is kosher. They don't discuss certain things on certain days, if it's holidays or feast days or Shabbat. They would not tell anything. Nobody knew what was going on. All we knew was we heard bombs going off. We didn't know if Iran had, was fixing to overtake Jerusalem. And that's probably the report you heard. I said, does anybody know what the bombs are all about? And uh, so that happened. And then the next day, uh, after Shabbat, about 7 o'clock that evening, they began to give out some news. And that's when we began to realize the massacre that was taking place 40 miles from us at, at the border, at uh, all of those kibbutz on the border of Gaza. They came in, they came in on motorcycles, bicycles, uh, Humvees, uh, uh, paragliding, yes, uh, ways that we never thought. Uh, they came in through uh, tunnels. 
They have found thousands and thousands of tunnels throughout Gaza, all the money that America, Qatar, Iran, and uh, Saudi Arabia has been sending for humanitarian reasons were used to build these tunnels. It was like spider webs all throughout. And they would come out sometimes in Israel uh, or Israel proper, I would say all of it's Israel, but Israel proper and sometimes just shy of that. And then all of a sudden that Shabbat morning, I mean, I hate to use the word, I don't know how else to rightly describe it. It was like that day all hell broke loose. The IDF was not ready uh, the uh, security of these kibbutzim were not ready. And these, these thugs, these demons ran in with nobody to protect them. And they went through. And what they did was just absolutely horrible. And we were not hearing about it while it was happening. We just knew we had the bombs other than the bombs, the streets was like a ghost town. We didn't know what was going on and where, but we knew that it was bad. But up until that point, the Lord had begun to do a work that started during COVID. I can't tell you why COVID, but it, ha it started with Zion's Bridge during COVID in that where we had always received money in, and 100% of money went out. So our, our banking account was always kind of close to zero. But for some reason during COVID, we began to receive much more than we had needs for. And my wife and I had many, many discussions and prayer times about that. What should we do with this money? We tell people 100% of it goes to Israel, but it's starting to build up. For the first time, our bank account had gotten up to around $100,000. What should we do with that money? I mean, God's going to hold us accountable for it. What do we do about it? And, and she would start saying, let's just start sending money to this person or that person, people we knew, ministries in Israel. But I didn't know of any needs they would have or we would have gladly done that. I said, no, I'm not just... I'm not, honey, we're not, not sending blank checks throughout Israel. I mean... God's given that to us for a reason. We know there's going to come a time when we're going to need a lot of money. Well, when this war broke out, a lot of the big ministries were involved in a lot of other things with their own buildings, their own projects, what had been approved and hadn't been approved. But when all of this broke out and something small, like a body bag that cost uh, maybe $75, none of the other ministries could reach quickly get to that they had to go before the boards they had to get money designated raise money but little zion's bridge was running around gaza the borders of gaza buying body bags the day after god had already got us ready and uh so we we were able to do that day one and immediately, your pastor was one of the very first. Tommy wrote me and says, City on a Hill sent. I don't know how much, but she, she always called me when the bigger checks came in to say, can you believe? And she, that, your church was one of the first that she called me and said that to me. And, and we have just been so blessed. 
Uh, Bethlehem has, 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 is, is another situation. I may tell you a little about Bethlehem later in the message. Bethlehem is a situation. But uh, right, right before all this happened, we sent $65,000 to Bethlehem. And I may tell you what that money's going to go for if, if I don't forget in a little while. And then the, the list goes on and on. Initially, in Ashkelon, Ashdod, Sterot, those bordering cities, people had to leave. People had to leave. And some of you may have seen the, uh, the uh, interview I did with this one elder, elderly gentleman. He had a patch over his eye. He was like probably 85 years old. He had fought in every one of Israel's war. And even in his, the first war... 48 he fought in he lost his eye and he was considered disabled after that point and not allowed into the military but every time they have war he's allowed into the military so he's fought in 48 67 83 and and on and on all of these different wars uh he's he's fought in and he would fight in this one if they would have let him but he was he was kind of going crazy to be honest with you uh, he, he could not take the bombs anymore. He, could, he couldn't handle that anymore. He couldn't hear another bomb drop. And he just got, he got a friend of his that helped take care of him. He said, we're just going north. So they drove to Jerusalem. And we were able to start, and we helped over 100 people in that first two weeks that just, the government hadn't been able to do anything at that point to get lined up. You know, bureaucracy takes a while. But there was Zion's Bridge again. We were just going to hotels, buying hotel rooms, left and right. Hotel rooms that when I take tour there, we pay over $200 a night for. We were getting for $40 and $50 a night because the hotels were also having. But God had you there putting people like that in hotels. We did not turn one person down. All they had to say is that we're fleeing the war. If they said we're fleeing the war, our ministry would put them in a hotel. Another ministry would bring them food. And God was... Doing great things. Uh, I don't want to get the cart before the horse because I was planning to deal with some of this a little bit later. But one thing that the Lord has done during this war is to bring Christians and Jews closer. Um, probably a lot of my Jewish friends are listening to this. I think it's being live streamed. I don't, I don't believe they will disagree with what I'm about to say. But honestly... I think Christians have made the difference in this war. You know, you've got your government that has taken care of the military, basic military, even that, there's a lot of things like we've had to buy so many coats, basic things that you would think is basic is not basic. They look at things differently than we do. But we had to buy them coats, we had to buy them vests. Those things are not cheap, bulletproof vests. Um, Underwear, socks, we just took loads and loads of stuff down to the border, giving all of that stuff away. And we have not, we, we would never, we would never be able to talk to anybody about Yeshua in Israel. If so, we'd lose our visa. But the, during the war, we've been able to take van loads down, open the door up, 
Who is this coming from? It's coming from Christians in America that love you very, very much. Why do y'all do this? Why do y'all care about us? We care because your elder brother was Yeshua. And because Yeshua, your brother came, he gave us life. And we are determined to uh, honor him. And we're honoring him by helping you. And they, they've said to me, wow, wow, how wonderful is that? And so the Christian and the Jew relationship has gotten so much better. Some of you have heard of International Fellowship of Christian and Jews. When they travel around, you know, Rabbi Eckstein started that. But what a lot of people don't realize, there's nothing Christian about that group. They're totally Orthodox Jewish. Totally. I don't mean, you know, they're Messianic Jewish. They are Orthodox Jewish. But they, they have been going from place to place, base to base, and they're saying, we are a Jewish organization, but the money comes from Christians. The same way with an agency in Israel called the Jewish Agency. And you say, well, that's crazy. Well, that's their name, the Jewish Agency. And their agency is funded partly by the government and then partly by individuals like you. Their job is to bring those that want to come back to Israel, bring them in. They pay airfare and help them with housing and things like that. Even they have been going around saying the Christians are doing the greatest funding of that right now. And, and it just goes on and on. I was, uh, I was in a store recently to purchase some, some things just before I came back. And I was in the Lod, say that for me, Tommy, Lod, Lod Yakeshish. It, it means what, remembering them or something. It means life. But uh, the people that live there are Holocaust survivors. These are older people. Some of them are seniors, but many of them are actually Holocaust survivors. And so each day they come because they, these are people that very old, of course, are in their 80s, but they still want to do something. They still want to do something for the Lord. They, don't, they want their life to count. That's why they've lived the age they have. Meaning, they have meaning. But uh, they make things during the day. And so, but when I come to the U.S., I'll, I usually go and buy a lot of their stuff, and um, and I don't. My, I know my wife gave Pastor David a gift to say thank you this morning. I don't know what she put in that, but a lot of things we buy comes from there because that's our way of supporting them. So just before I left to come on this trip, I went in. The director, she looked at me and she said, um, "This really means a lot to me." I said, "Well, we." We believe in what you're doing. We want to support you. She said, no. She said, I, I know that. But she said, when the war came, you had no reason to stay here. Why did you stay? And I kind of teared up. I said, you know, it wasn't so long that the enemy tried to take the Jewish people out in what we call the Holocaust. And I said, we did not cause that, ma'am. Do you understand? We did not cause that. That was Hitler. Hitler had nothing to do with Christianity. 
Now, he got some of his impetus from some that called themselves Christians like Martin Luther. But we didn't do that. We didn't kill your people. We didn't put them in uh, the camps and all of that. We didn't do any of that. She said, I know. I said, we didn't do it. But I said, well, I'll tell you what we did do. We turned a blind eye to it. And I said, ma'am, never again. And so she said, that just touches me so much. It touches me. There's some great, great people that are called to Israel. Israel is a place that uh, a great friend of mine that started see uh, Christian Friends of Israel. That's who I spend most of my time working through when I'm in Israel. Sharon Sanders. She says this. She says, you don't, uh, you don't join Israel. Israel, that's not the way she says it. Tommy don't remember it either. You don't, uh, you don't call Israel, Israel calls you. In other words, it's, it's a tough place to live. Very tough place to live. But if you're there, a lot you have to put up with to live there. But you can't leave it. When I came home, left the war to come home here, I'd promised my kids and had several speaking engagements. So I was coming home. As I drove or, or took the bus to the airport, Ben Gurion Airport, I felt like this big hypocrite because I was leaving my friends behind. I was leaving Jews behind that I told I loved. And I was getting on a plane and going to the place of safety. Only God can call people to feel that way. And uh, I, I, God helped me. He, the war came at a time when Tommy was not there anyway. If she'd have been there, I would not have wanted her to be there. But a single man, you know, he can get around, go places others can't. And I felt, I never felt one day of fear not one day, not one day. Those scriptures, the psalmist said, you know, they, the, though the enemy uh, come near me, the Lord will protect me. I, I read those scriptures all of the time about how the Lord was a protector. And when I would go to bed at night, you know, I never worried about anything. Never, not one, not one time. I'm not saying that sounds boastful. I'm saying that as a truth. Not one time. And, and I get home and people says, wow, I just want to shake your hand that, that, that you, uh, you were in the war. I, and, and I have to look at them because I don't feel that way. I was there. I had a job to do. And where I went, I felt safe. And it was always things happening right before I got somewhere. Always. Like uh, a group of terrorists went and tried to overtake the um, uh, YMCA, which is, if you've been there, it's right across from the King David Hotel. They tried to overtake it right before I got there. And that all got settled. And somebody said, how'd you get here? I said, I just walked. What do you mean, how'd you get here? They said, we couldn't come through because, and it was that way. Everywhere I would go, many of you probably read about three weeks ago, about eight that was killed at a bus stop. That was, that was less than from here to the road out here from my office. And that uh, a terrorist drove by, one that came into Israel from Gaza, 
while, while we had this, quote, ceasefire. There wasn't a ceasefire about it. But during that ceasefire, they only gave many terrorists a chance to infiltrate Israel itself. And, and some of those actually went to a bus stop uh, uh, that I have been to so many times. But it was while I was on a bus going there. I wasn't there. And they got up, jumped out of their vehicle, and with guns just started spraying the people that were there. And so I never one time felt fearful. Never, never. But the Lord is, this is, message is not about me. This message is to help you get an idea of what really is taking place in Israel. So the message I'm going to preach that I still have a little introduction before I actually get into and the message won't be very long because a lot of it is introduction because there's a lot I wanted to give you. But uh, I want to... The message will be entitled Never Again. Okay, that's, that's, that's the message. And I'm going to show you why we say that. But let me tell you a little bit about Gaza, how Gaza came to be. First of all, 1993, something happened. What was it? What took place? Oslo Accord. Oslo Accord. And the three major uh, uh, players in designing the Oslo Accord was our President Clinton. Right. Got it? And... Yasser Arafat and uh, Ehu Barak. Those were the three. Ehu Barak of Israel, Arafat of the Palestinians, Clinton for America. They shook hands. That, that accord has hurt Israel more than any one thing since Israel became a state in 1948. But they shook hands. In that, they gave up territories. First of all, they gave up what we today call, at, we call the West Bank. I don't use that term because it's not the West Bank. The Bible calls it Judea and Samaria. But it's the land that starts with Jerusalem and moves eastward to the Jordan River. And so the Jordan River to Jerusalem and uh, that big strip, huge strip of land is known as the West Bank today, and it was part of the Oslo Accord. The other was Bethlehem. Bethlehem's not just one town, but there's several cities in the Bethlehem, the house of bread, the city of David is called all those names. Uh, that, was, that was also given to the Palestinians as part of the Oslo Accord. And then Gaza. Gaza is a strip of land. Uh, it runs north and south, not so wide, but it joins, uh, as we said a while ago, it joins uh, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Tel Aviv, all of that. Uh, I first made my first trip to Israel in 1979, and we were able to go directly into uh, Gaza because Gaza was, had the prettiest beach, prettier than Tel Aviv and all of that. It's not pretty now, but it was then. So that was all one big territory. They had their problems, but Ehud Barak had the attitude that we're going to trade land for peace. And God hates that. You go to the book of Joel, the book of Joel teaches us that the very reason of the war in the book of Joel, where he sees the blood come to the horse's bridle, why did all of that happen? It happened because you divided up my land in lots. God does not want that land divided. 
He has a special place for you. He has a special place for the Jew. But he also has a special place in his heart that he calls in the book of Isaiah, I think maybe 60, uh, 57, I think in Isaiah 57, he calls it Beulah, which means my bride. He's married to that land, you know, no doubt. Now, if you, if you study your geography, you're going to think I'm wrong about this. But it's believed that that's where Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden, you know, in that fertile crescent area. Now, you might look at it and say, no, according to this, it had to be here. Understand, uh, during the flood, all borders were moved, mountains and all of that. The whole terrain was changed under the flood. So you really can't go by the, the you know, some of the rivers that was mentioned in the book of Genesis about uh, about Eden, but it's it's believed by great scholars that probably the Garden of Eden was was there. God has loved that land. He he set that little spot of land. That Jeremiah said he chose you not because of your bigness, because you're small. He chose that little bit of land because that was to be the headquarters of the kingdom of God, and out of that little spot, uh, missionaries would leave that spot and go to all of the world and proclaim the gospel. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then all around. That's always been God's uh, place. And, and that's why He said, don't you go divide my land up. You divide my land up, you got a problem. Back when, uh, I think I'll tell you the whole story on this because you know Pastor Franklin and I think you know that I love the man. But back... Uh, when Donald Trump was in office, he did several things that helped the Jewish people. They consider him a king right now. I mean, they named a town after him, and uh, he could have, he could still have anything that he wants. He's built up highly in Israel, but he did a lot of good things. Abraham Accord was good, putting uh, Jerusalem once again as the capital of Israel. That was good, but he did one thing that was terrible. One thing that he was he did was terrible. He, he divided up on a plan called the deal of the century. Y'all remember that term, the deal of the century? The deal of the century, whether a person likes me to say this or not, divided Jerusalem right down the middle. Actually put the Palestinian headquarters in a place called Abu Dis, which is just there bordering Jerusalem, outskirt of Jerusalem. So he drew a line down Jerusalem and he, he actually drew a tunnel that would carry people from Gaza to the West Bank, a tunnel, tunnel thoroughfare that would take people from Bethlehem to uh, the Palestinian state. He said, that's the deal of the century, and they turned it down. I got so upset about it. I got so upset about it. I wrote Pastor Franklin, I sent him a text. I said, please. Because you know, at that time, I, I don't know if he has any relations with the, uh, Mr. Tr President Trump now or not. I don't know that. But I know back then he was actually on President's uh, Spiritual Advisory Board. I said, I said, Jensen, please write the President and beg him, and beg him to not offer this as a plan. If he does, he's going to bring a reproach on the United States of America. And I, I sometimes have my dates. I don't have them perfectly in my head right now. 
but he offered that in January of 2020. And by March of 2021, the WHO uh, made the official announcement that uh, the COVID was now a worldwide epidemic. Just a few days later, I said to Pastor Franklin, I said, beg him not to do that. And his attitude was the, was the attitude of most of our spiritual leadership. His attitude was, oh, Donald's not going to do that. You can trust me, he's not going to do that. I said, well, why has he put it on paper? He says he's not going to do that. He wants to show the world that the Palestinians will not work with any plan you offer them. I said, that sounds reasonable. Then in prayer, that dagger step kept hitting me. It'd be like, I love my wife, and she's a part of me. I'm her protector. Even if I know somebody's going to turn it down, do you think I'd set her up on a stage and say, how much will you pay for her? You can have her. You don't do that kind of stuff. You don't offer that bride, and that's what Israel is. The land of Israel is. The land of Israel is His, his bride. And, and, and not in the New Testament context, only according to that word Beulah that we mentioned a while ago, his wife. But I said, we can't do that. I believe we have brought some unnecessary judgments on ourselves When we do certain things, certain sins, you reap what you sow. And because we were willing to put and offer up land that God said was His land, we have had to suffer some terrible consequences. Now what's happening right now is happening because of this sequence of events. In 1993, Oslo Accord came, which gave all of that land to the Palestinians. Okay? First of all, there's never... Palestinians is a misnomer within itself. Palestinians are basically exiled Jordanians. So they've never had a land. Uh, even from back when uh, the Balfour Declaration, when the land belonged to England, they gave it. Uh, General Balfour gave that land to the, as a homeland for what, who? The Jewish people. That's who it was given to rightfully. Now, <clears throat> I must move along with this. You say, okay, Brother Robbie, don't we love the Palestinians? You let me tell you, I love the Palestinians. I just told you a little while ago, we put $65,000. And we're getting ready to send another check. We're just waiting for someone else that says they're going to send money. We're going to send some more money. But we just put $65,000 into Bethlehem, which is a Palestinian city. We love the Palestinians. While I'm here in my apartment, there's a Palestinian actually stays there because he is such a good friend to me. They're, they're, they're great people, okay? And, but I want to tell you that in, in Gaza, uh, the deal was in 2005, you, all the Jews were taken out of Gaza, a place called Kush Atif. In Gaza, they were. You might have seen it on television, 2005. That's when God called me to line up with the Jewish people till He comes back. That's what I did. I was in a cafe in Atlanta. I looked up. I saw on the screen, 
and I heard people cheering. I looked to see what they were cheering for. And they were cheering because the IDF, that's the Israeli army, were loading people up, putting them on backs of trucks and taking them out of their homes. And I said, who are they taking out? I didn't know the political scheme going on. They said, those are Jews. They need to get out of there. Why do they need to get out of there? Because Oslo Accord gave them Jewish homes and land. And, and then in, uh, that actually happened in 2003. And by 2005, um, Ariel Sharon literally physically took trucks in and drugged the people out of their homes. You say, well, don't we, does that make us hate the Gazans that are still there? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And I'm for Palestinian people. But you got a situation in Gaza where they do hold blame. They're not innocent people. And let me tell you where they hold blame. That happened in 2005 that, they, that, that, they, uh, that the Jews were taken out of their homes. By 2007, the Gazans of their own will elected Hamas as their government. That happened in 2007. Hamas, what do you mean? A terrorist organization. They appointed them. And let me tell you something. You are bringing judgment on your own children, your own wives, your daughters, your sons, when you vote for a person that is a baby killer, a person that doesn't hold up biblical standards. You say, well, that's them. I don't care. I cast my vote and I did what my conscience told me to do. I wished it was that simple. It's not that simple. When you vote, you are coming under the same judgment as those you vote for. And I want to come under the blessings, not the judgment. Do you hear me? So what's happening in Gaza is a terrible thing. There's a lot of children in Gaza that's being slaughtered and killed themselves. But it's not because of Israel. It's not because of Bibi Netanyahu. It's because they made a pact with a terrorist organization. It's terrible. And I pray for Gazans. When I was in Ash, especially Ashkelon, I met with a lot of wives. They said, pray for my husband. My husband's in Gaza. Good people. Good people. Many of them I met with, I'm sure their husbands did not even get out alive. But that's what happened. Now, and then on October the 7th this year, we heard the bombs, but we did not know what was going on. The Jewish people are so committed to this word here. I call it the Torah. But they're so committed to it, they will lay their own life down to preserve it. I learn a lot from the Jewish people. and That's one thing I also learn, that the Torah, the Word of God, is worth laying your life down for. That they would not get on their phones, they would not listen to the radio or televisions. They kept them off. About 7 o'clock that night, the first thing, time I heard anything that was going on, Jonathan Feldstein over the Genesis 1-2-3 Project, a Jewish organization, put on Facebook, he says, Shabbat is now over. 
probably was 8 o'clock. He says, Shabbat is now over. I'm finding out that my neighbors, my friends, my relatives have been slaughtered. He says, and I can't write to you. He's a writer that writes for the Jerusalem Post. Uh, he writes for uh, Israel 365. One of the m most best known uh, writers in all of Israel to keep up with things and document things. He said, I've just now by law been able to turn on my television and I can't believe what has taken place. So all of it was going on. They did not even know it. And so it's, that's, that's what happened. And that's why we're helping. You say, okay, but Brother Robbie, let's, let's just bring it to reality where we are. Let's think about this thought never again. Let's think about that. Never again. Why, why is that? So there's two terms that has taken root over the last 10 years. This one term, never again, I first heard from John Hagee. I was in downtown uh, 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 Jerusalem, the, the, what they call the center of Jerusalem, not the old city, but modern Jerusalem, Ben Yehuda Street. Somebody said, there's a preacher coming down and people are gathering around him. I was between appointments. I looked up. And lo and behold, I saw walking down Ben Yehuda Street. How many of you have been to Israel? A lot of you have. I looked up at the top of Ben Yehuda Street there at uh, Talitha Kumai. You know, that's that big emblem at the top of Ben Yehuda. And I saw walking between that statue, this little fat guy. And he come walking down through there, and I said, that's Pastor Hagee. And um, I spoke to him and a lot of uh, the people from uh, uh, the, the uh, Eagles, the Eagles Church there, Kenneth Copeland's, yeah, Eagle Mountain, uh, Pierce. Pierce was there, Copeland's daughter. A lot of them was with Hagee, and they made up, they joined locked arms as they walked down Ben Yehuda Street together. And I went locked in. I said, welcome to Israel, Pastor Hagee. He said, never again. Pointed his big finger in my face. said, never again. That was the first time I heard that, that slogan. And it's taken hold. You hear that a lot. Your pastor said it today before I did. He said, never again. And then there's another slogan you hear that's gotten real big in the last 10 years. And that is, from the river to the sea, that Palestine might be free. Let me tell you something. I know there's a lot of, um, I know there's a lot of uh, news out there. All, all I can tell you, it, it would make my job preaching and convincing you to follow Israel. It would make it a lot easier for me. I could do it a lot better if I listen to some of those news reports. But I'm going to stand before God one day, and if I have brought people together, I'll be blessed for it. If I separated people, I'll be cursed for it. Now, you've probably heard the, uh, you have probably heard the outlets say that surveys have been taken, and over 75 to 80% of Palestinians agree with what happened on uh, October 7th. Have, have y'all heard those reports? I've heard that. How many of you have actually heard news reporters say that? Okay, a third of you have. 
I thought it would have been more than that. But the news report says that 75% of Palestinians agree with what Hamas did. In other words, the killing of babies, the torture, the rape, and all of that. I've said all along, and I still say, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Now, if you go to Hamas, you got some mean people there. You go to Bethlehem, Bethlehem is in the process of trying to get Bethlehem back in, in, in favor with Christianity. They're making an effort. Uh, we're, we're, we're helping an initiative called the Nativity uh, Encounter. It's going to be kind of like the Ark Encounter, I think, in Kentucky. They're going to build one in Bethlehem. Some Christian friends of mine, the Curry family, they're going to build it. As I've said, we believe in it so much, we've already given to that. But I don't believe you have 70% in Bethlehem. Because I know many in Bethlehem. And you don't have 70% in Bethlehem that wanted to see innocent babies slaughtered. Uh, in Judea and Samaria, they call the West Bank, I can tell you it's not that big. Now if you go to some areas like Afula and Janine, yes, it's that big. That, that many would say they hate Israel because, because uh, they are terrorist holdouts. Those two cities are, Janine and, and Ufala. Those, those are uh, terrible places. But if you talk to the normal Palestinian, the normal Palestinian, they don't feel that way. They're not happy about anybody being hurt. They want things to go back the way it was before October the 7th. And they're suffering as well. I talk, listen, and I talk to a lot of them. And, and I don't know if they're being cowardice or what, but I never pick up that attitude in Israel itself. I think they're going somewhere else getting those surveys taken. Because the Palestinians, for the most part, are good people. They just want to raise their family in safety and give their families what they did not have. That's all it is. Now, uh, so that's why I want you to look at this. That philosophy from the river to the sea is said by a lot, a lot of people. When I'm in Israel, uh, my doctor's Palestinian. My hospital's Palestinian. I've had eye surgery, and that doctor's Palestinian. I've had two doctors. The main one that started the process was Palestinian. I believe in them. I hear them. I feel safe. I feel safe right in the midst of all Palestinians. They're good people. So don't believe the lie that they're bad people. They just need some good leadership. Their leadership is terrible. Mahmoud Abbas, he's a terrible man. He's, he, he, would, he would take any of you out and hang you today for no reason. Their leadership, the same as Yasser Arafat. He was a demon from hell. Okay, you've got some bad Palestinians and the people that all they want to do is concentrate on raising their families, doing what's right, working their jobs. They don't get involved with politics. They don't even know those leaders I just referenced. So don't believe that line either. But Psalm 83 depicts this attitude. And I'm not going to be able to read all these scriptures, but y'all put them up and you can write them down. But Psalm 83, verses 1 through 4. Uh, and your pastor probably, since this has gone on, he's probably preached about Psalm 83. Uh, before I go any further, have, have you, Pastor, dealt, have you dealt with Psalm 83? 
Okay, well, good. That's going to give me a little more liberty then to, um, uh, to tell you some thoughts there. If you go to Psalm 83, before, before this war started on October 8, Tommy and I both had done a lot of research on Psalm 83, and we felt that Psalm 83 was a continuum of events that has gone on for years of many Palestinian and Hamas leadership that wanted to come against Israel. But we felt like it was always pretty much. But during this war, I wouldn't say we've changed our thinking, but we've done a little tweaking to our thinking because... It has been an ongoing thing, but right now it is more pronounced than ever. God is doing a division. He's setting apart the light from the darkness. And if you read that, Psalm, Psalm 83, let's see if I can find it and I'll read a little bit of it. Psalm 83 verse 1 says, Oh God, do not remain quiet. And that's what I'm praying. Lord, when I see all the killing, the hurt, the pain, don't, God, don't be quiet. Tell us what to do. Do not be silent. O God, do not be still. For behold, your enemies make an uproar. And those who hate you have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plans against your people. And they conspire uh, together against your treasured ones. They have said, come and let us wipe them out as a nation. That the name of Israel be remembered no more. And I could read on, and if you read that, he tells who these people are. Who are they? He calls them the Hagarites. That's descendants of Hagar. He calls them those from Gaza. He, he, he so specifically, Tyre and Sidon, which is Lebanon. He so specifically, he looks at Damascus. He so specifically talks about those that are being brought into this war today that I think, I hate to take the Bible and say, this is exactly what's taking place right now. This is exactly what is taking place right now, but I'm not going to tell you this is the sum and total of it. But this philosophy right here, Psalm 83, the philosophy itself is taking place now. Now, a lot of my friends have said, I believe what's taking place now is Ezekiel 38. In Ezekiel 38, it doesn't match up. But in Ezekiel 38, what happens is you don't read about any of those that I just talked about. The Hagarites, which is from Agar. You don't read about Gaza. You don't read about Syria. Uh, you read about Assyria. Assyria and Syria is two different things. Assyria is all that kingdom from Iraq right over. Okay. But you don't read about those countries, Arab countries that join, that are congruent to Israel. And the reason you don't is because something happens in 83. So the Arabs that come against them in, in, in Ezekiel 38 are of a different group. They, they come from up north. You read about who they are. The Bible tells you very clearly who they are. You have to do a study to find out what was this country called a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago. You have to do that, but when you do that, you find out exactly who they are. They're Russia, they're Germany, they're uh, Persia. Yes, Persia, and uh, Persia is the biggest one actually in Psalm, uh, I mean, um, uh, Ezekiel 38. 
and, uh, and, and Turkey. You read about that. So you got two groups. You got a, a Caucasian group. What I mean by that, those beyond, those in the north, beyond the Caucasia, Caucasus Mountains. You got that group in Ezekiel 38, which includes Russia. Then in, but Psalm 83, you got those Arabs that border Israel. Now, when you get to the end of 83, something happens. A lot of people says the Arab nations are all wiped out. They're not wiped out. They're not wiped out, but they come. That last verse, uh, pull that up if you can do it faster than I can. Pull that up, Psalm 83, and the very last verse tells us this. Is that it? No, that's not it. Uh, yeah, Psalm 83, I'm sorry. Uh, is it verse 18? Because we're going to find out what really happens at the end of the Psalm. And if this is the Psalm 83 war, the thing that will happen is the conclusion will be... You're waiting on it to boot up, aren't you? That they may know that thou alone... Who may know? They. Who is the they? They that's been causing this problem. Not the world at large, but those causing the problem. Those that said we're going to make them as though they never were. They, that they, uh, that they may know that thou alone, whose name is Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth. So when you start out, you see some bad people. You see many of them destroyed and killed. Not all of them. And by the time you get to the end of Psalm 83, you see people, they that were causing problems, they now come to serve Jehovah. Not Allah anymore. Not Islam anymore. What's taking place now, when it's finished, and we don't know how long it's going to be, but when it's finished, you're going to see a purging take place in the land. And those that border Israel, they will, they will have repented and they will start worshiping God. Now that's going to do two, two things are going to come out of that. That's happening right now. We have story after story after story about Muslims, even Hamas soldiers, having dreams. In those dreams, they're seeing Jesus. They're seeing Yeshua. And they're saying, we better put up our arms because Yeshua showed himself to me. So God's doing it through showing himself to those evil people. And the next thing that is going to happen through this war is that the land that they have been promised to by Abraham and later by Moses, they're not occupying it now. But when this Psalm 83 war is over, they will occupy more of their borders that God gave them. Do you remember on the third day of the war about Benjamin Netanyahu said he was angry when he said it, but he was very correct. He said when this war is over, Hamas will not be again. And when this war is over, the borders will change. That's what this war is doing. It's changing the borders. I was down at Gaza, bombs going over left and right, Iron Dome taking them out. One Iron Dome went over the car I was driving. 
I thought a jet had just flown too low to the ground. I said to my compadre that was with me, I said, Enrique, what was that? He said, that was the Iron Dome, Pastor. We just went under the Iron Dome. That thing loud. But what is taking place right now is clearing the land. Now, you're worried a little bit about how America is going to take place. I'm concerned also. But do you know, even under Biden, God is God. God is King. I'm telling you. And even, even though I worry about Biden, I can still tell you last week at the close of, yeah, this last week at the close, before the year ended, Blinken released. He, he knew he couldn't get the votes in Congress, but he took a presidential, uh, a, a presidential uh, uh, freebie, I guess you'd call it, and he uh, released $149 million worth of artillery. Well, I want to tell you, I'm going to take it. I don't care if it comes by the devil or if it comes by the Lord right now. God's going to do what He needs to do to take place in Israel. Because the biggest thing taking place in Israel right now is they are running out of uh, uh, they're running out of bullets, out of shell, artillery. They're running out of that. And, and uh, other countries are scaling back. I'm telling you, every time that iron dome goes off, and I've heard it go off myself hundreds of times in the last several months, every time that iron dome goes off, it costs Israel $10,000. It ten. Thousand U.S. dollars every time that dome explodes one of those rockets. And they're going off from the south. They're going off from the north. But when it's all over with, before Israel totally runs out, God is going to vindicate Himself. The Muslims are going to be saying, God is God. And we're going to give back Gaza. We're going to give back what the Oslo Accord took from us. We're going to have uh, peace once again in Bethlehem. That's the things that are taking place. Now, how does 83 and 38, Ezekiel 38, line up? What's taking place in 38, in, in Psalm 83, taking place now, is the hook in the jaw of Ezekiel 38. The thing that sends Ezekiel 38 into the north, the northern coming down, is some say Putin. I'm, I'm not sure if it's Putin or not. But ever who's going to lead, ever who Gog is, and Magog, which means the land of Gog, ever who that leader is, the Bible says, and I put a hook in his jaw. What is that hook? The hook's taking place right now. He's seeing this, and, and there, he's already saying, wow, if they hadn't have gone in on Shabbat, if they'd have gone in on this day, uh, they'd have got this type of help and that problem wouldn't have existed. And so we, we're learning. Putin, uh, commentators have said, Putin is studying this situation. He's already had, already had meetings in Qatar and Saudi Arabia. Why? Because there's a hook put in his draw. Uh, a hook put in his draw. Jaw. And he's already seeing blood in the water. He's saying, wow, those poor little old 40,000 Hamas soldiers, they sure did cause a lot of problem. What can I do when I get all of Turkey and, 
and, and, and, and all of this other taking place. When I get all of these surrounded with my forces, we're not going to mess up like Hamas messed up. That's the hook. So remember that. Now, Psalm 83 is the destruction from the river to the sea. Then I want to close with this. I want to close with this. Uh, Matthew 25 tells us another situation. And I don't have time to break down the scripture. But I think I'll just leave them with you for you to go study. Why is it so important that we not ignore Israel? We did not cause the Holocaust, but we ignored them. Now, God let us squeeze by on that one. 1933 is when the first Holocaust camp was set up in Dachau. I'm so glad Tommy and I got to go to Dachau. Preaching in Germany not long ago, we got to go to Dachau. It was the first Holocaust camp. Horrible. Okay. And is that a sign that I need to... Oh, okay. Okay, good. It sounds good. I just want to make sure. Well, Tommy used to do that on the piano when I was going too long. She'd start playing. I know it's time to wrap it up. But God did judge us for being quiet. But He didn't... It wasn't a final judgment. Because Dachau and the Holocaust, He saw it all happening. Much as we don't like to think about it, it was in the plan. If it hadn't been for the Holocaust, if it hadn't been for the Holocaust, I'm not sure there'd be an Israel today. Now, John Hagee, the man, he said that first. So if you don't like me, throw stones at him and then you throw them at me. I don't even like the way it sounds. The Holocaust, even though it almost wiped out Israel, it caused sympathy for the whole world to start looking at Israel once again. And that's when it was over with. That became the impetus for Israel to get a nation again. 33 is when the Holocaust started. 45 was the ending of the Holocaust and World War II. Not positive about World War II. I think it stopped in. 45. Uh, 45. And so by 48, three years later, it was now in the works and Israel gets their nation back. So that was part of it. But this time, this time we're looking at the end of the age. Look at that Matthew. Matthew, Jesus talks about it. The end of the age. He says, and you will not see me again. He said that earlier in chapter 23, if I'm not mistaken. Till you say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So he's talking to Israel. Now he goes to 25 and he starts talking about the end of time. Matthew 25, see what he, he, he says there. Uh, he, he talks about uh, chapter 25, he See if I can, I'm trying to skip through a lot of my notes. I always have more notes than I can ever cover. 
Uh, 24 and 25 is last day judgments. Chapter 24, verses 48 through 49, he talks about how people will be judged at the end, at the very end. He talks about the backslidden save in Matthew 24, verses 48 and 49, that backslidden slave and his judgment. Chapter 25 and verse 26, he talks about the wicked and lazy slave. Then in chapter 25 and 32, now you see, we're not at the Holocaust, we're at the end of time. He says when we get to the end of time, the judgment will be between sheep and goat nations. This is very, very important for me to understand. When I read about in Genesis chapter 12 and 3, that it, uh, I'll make you a great name, those that bless you, I'll bless, those that curse you, I'll curse. I, I just, I don't know, I kind of only accepted one side of it, and that was the bless me side of it. You know, if you bless Israel, God will bless you. I want to be blessed, I want my family blessed. But there's also a cursing side of it. And how, how, how much is that curse? You know, <clears throat> I've kind of thought, well... Our grandparents were, you know, they were living during the Holocaust. They heard something was going on, but they didn't know really what it was. and They didn't understand it was so bad. And they're good people, and they're going to be all right. And I still feel that way today about them. They didn't have the news media putting the war in their face like we do. But in this last day, the last day, that's what Jesus is talking about in the 25th chapter of Matthew. In the last day, there's going to be goats and they're going to be sheep. And it's so severe that it's not like you can enter this one with passivity. You have to make a choice. And I don't know about you, but he said here, those that are... I think I dealt with this once before at your church. Those of you that are considered the sheep nations, how did we become a sheep nation? They asked the question. He said, when I was hungry and you fed me. When I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. When I was prison and you came and visited me. That's how you became a sheep nation. Okay, those on the other side, left side, we're a goat nation. How did we become a goat nation? I was hungry and you, you, you turned a blind eye to me. I was thirsty and you let, me, you, you let me die of dehydration. I was in prison and you didn't even care about darkening my door. You're a goat nation. Okay, sheep, goat. I'll just get more rewards when I get to heaven if I'm a sheep nation and not a part of a goat nation, right? Uh -uh. A lot tougher than that. He said, for you, you'll be thrown in the outer darkness. Let me tell you something. I, was, I wasn't able to help those moms being raped on October the 7th. Raped so badly that some of them's pelvic was broken. I was not able to take some of those babies out of ovens that were thrown into the ovens. I was not able to untie those entire families tied together and set on fire. <clears throat> but I know it's happened. And I'm pastor like you. I'm going to take them something to drink. If they're hungry, I'm going to take them something to eat. Amen. Those that are in prison, and there's in prison, that's why you're going to wear this band. 
let them go now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help get them out of their prison. I don't know, according to the Word, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you're going to make it to the kingdom if you turn a blind eye to His people now. Too tough, I guess. I see it as truth. That's why I go everywhere I can and I say to people like this, I don't even care if I get an offering today, it really makes no difference to me because you're not going to give to me. And you, or you haven't given to me. But I'm here to tell you today I would make sure I was in a church, I was in a fellowship group that believed in the apple of God's eye. Israeli people, and that I'm not going to turn a blind eye to them. This squad in Washington or anybody else can do what they want to do. But I'm standing with Israel. Would you stand with me this morning? Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah in the house. Hallelujah. Never again. We're going to stand with you, Father. And we're going to stand with your brothers. And we're going to say, never again will we abandon you. (laughs) We're going to do what we can do. Never again will we be aloof. Thank you for City on the Hill Church. Thank you that they were one of the first groups that says, hey, I don't know what you're doing, but I want to I help somebody in Israel. Thank you for a pastor. Thank you for a board, a leadership team here that blesses that. I know churches all over America have struggled financially because of so many things. But I thank you that there are those that are saying, I don't care if I struggle or not, I'm going to help Israel. And I'm not turning a blind eye. We're going into this new year. I'd feel mighty good. I'd, I'd feel like I was a pretty good conduit today. Some of you made a determination in your heart that never again... Well, I allow any politician that I have any influence over to turn it back on Israel. And you're going to see, you're going to see how God will continue to bless this church and all of those that you influence. Father, as we go into 2024, I am going to do everything I can do to bless Israel. Because you're coming as soon. It's very soon that they're going to be saying, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And as Zechariah said, very soon they will say, We will accept him of whom we pierced. Those words are about to be said. Thank you for letting me speak to the church here. And I pray for them in the strong name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen and amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. There's so much I wanted to tell you, but time will not allow. I'd like to talk to you about what's happening on the Temple Mound. I'd like to talk to you about the red heifers that have been raised out, ready to be slaughtered. I'd like to tell you how the rabbis are fighting to get their temple back. But there's too much happening 
And the Lord is coming back soon.